This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Rico Decode has been nominated for Best Technology Podcast in this year's People's Choice Podcast Awards. Cast your vote for Rico Decode at podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up before July 31st, or just tap the link in the show notes. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who's terrified that I'm living in a Russian doll loop that will reset to November 2016 when I die. But in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview from this year's Code Conference. I interviewed Netflix executive Cindy Holland and the actor Natasha Leon, who has starred in the Netflix series Russian Doll and Orange is the New Black. They are both highly polished TV shows, but I asked Leon if she could imagine making a movie for a platform like Instagram, and she said that young viewers today are already looking at their phones while they watch Netflix. So often in the Russian All Writers room, I would be like, is it more interesting than a cat video? You know, it's (laughs) a real question. I mean, are you going to be able to keep someone's focus? When we watch things now, we watch them while multitasking, text messages, New York Times crossword puzzle, whatever it is, you know? So I don't know, maybe if it was an Instagram movie, at least they'd only be doing one thing because they couldn't be playing with their phones. You can find full coverage of this interview and everything else from the Code Conference at vox.com slash recode. But now let's go to the Phoenician Resort in Scottsdale, Arizona to hear my interview with Cindy Holland and Natasha Leon. Thank you, everyone. Uh, this is one of my favorite new shows. I watch, I watch a lot of television, actually. Uh, and this one is astonishing. It's, it's about um, someone who lives in a, in a loop. And, uh, and it's a, a software developer, actually, uh, who's a techie who lives in a loop um, and by an actress who I always adored. Um, and so what we want to talk about here is, uh, is media and, and the creation of creative, uh, creative endeavors um, at companies. And obviously, we couldn't do that without bringing in Netflix, uh, which pretty much creates everything now, from what I can understand. Um, so without further ado, we're bringing in Cindy Holland. She's the vice president for original content at Netflix, an Emmy-nominated actress, executive producer, co-creator, director, and star of Russian Doll, Natasha Leon. This show is fantastic. I want to start um, with you, Natasha. Um, this, is, this is your first endeavor with Netflix, is that correct? Uh, you in this capacity. In this yeah, capacity. We did Orange is the New Black. Orange is the New Black. So talk yeah. about how you, got, how you thought about going on that show to start with. Uh, how I that was a breakthrough about... show for, for, for oh, Netflix. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I remember that it was uh, psychedelic, and we'll be talking about psychedelics a lot today. Um, but I remember that it was... Uh, psychedelic for all of us actors at the time that everybody essentially thought they were signing on to this uh, unknown 
quantity, this uh, a web channel or something? Like we couldn't make heads or tails out of what was even being uh, suggested. Mm -hmm. uh, the material though was excellent. It was Genji, it was Genji Cohan. Right. I was actually uh, on set of the finale of Weeds mm -hmm. when I was reading um, the pilot for Orange is the New Black. So everybody really just uh, jumped off a cliff and said the material is worth signing on for. Even if it's a web series. That yeah, web sort of series, that, right. That, that was how the actors felt. I think. Yeah, I think it was. I think everybody, uh, but also I think it gave us that really rare moment where we, we were creating something in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. We had no idea what it was. And so there was sort of a, a safety in that. What was the, when you say, you said web series, so it's like, it's not that, it's not network television, it's not movies, it's not. Yeah, I mean, at the time there something? was already HBO, right. and, you know, NBC or any number of places that were doing you didn't, you what we understood place. to be television. Do you want right. to come sign on to be on a television series for seven years? Right. It, but, you know, what does that mean? Do you want to come be on? We were like, on what, YouTube? It just, <laughs> you know, sorry. <laughs> Bunch of you guys like yeah, YouTube rocks or something. Um, so, so talk about this sort of these in getting to these getting these creators to start to do this because the flywheel yeah. started now. Literally, you have hundreds of how many shows do you have on Netflix right now? Original? Uh, well, it's quite a lot. I mean, in in my team for English scripted series this year, it'll be about sixty new and returning new returning seasons. shows. But when we when you think about what's the the catalog of originals, things that originate on Netflix somewhere in the world, it's thousands. Thousands, that's what I thought. I spent the other night just watching trailers for Netflix shows, <laughs> and it just kept clicking on the next yeah. one. How do you think about that? When you, when you started doing it, when you had, had to attract names to this, mm. what was the original thinking when you, you came on from where? You came on... Well, I've been at Netflix for 17 years. 17 years, years. that's right, um, another but, long. But uh, I started my career in the feature film business and development and production. So I was uh, just smart enough and foolish enough to think we knew what why we were doing. Why did you do that? What was the... Uh, in the film business? No, why did you shift to Netflix? Uh, I shift to the internet in general. I was at a startup called Cosmo.com, mm -hmm. with a K for those who remember. We remember. The, <laughs> yeah. I was, the, and uh, I went into, I had a business development role there. What did um, you develop there? I didn't uh, realize you were at Cosmo.com. Yeah, I was. Wow. Uh, I did business deals for them, so I, I did all of the business deals for home video, so VHS and DVD. Also did the deals with Krispy Kreme and... Explain you know, Cosmo for people who don't remember. Uh, order, uh, order online, deliver to your door in under an hour. Anything from ice cream to razor blades to uh, <laughs> DVDs. Were those the top two? <laughs> Ice cream and movies oh, were, the, were the top two. Okay, okay. I used to, I wrote a terrible, uh, I, wrote, I didn't know if that was gonna work. Of course, it's now it's Amazon Prime, essentially, or Amazon yeah. Prime now. Um, at the time, I think I wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal, I said they're one assault away from the end of their business. Because I was like, people just arriving at your house, bringing things, like, it was, it was not nice, but I think I wrote that. I, I, I think consumers were mostly happy to see them. Yeah. Because yeah. they were delivering things they want. Yeah, so it was early, but it was, the concept was really early. Early. You moved over to Netflix because uh, well, Cosmo went out of business. Yes, I know that. <laughs> I was one of the last people I recall to that story. turn the lights out. Um, and it was through somebody I did business with at one of the studios, also was doing business with Ted, because we were doing very similar things, which is acquiring DVDs for an online delivery service mm -hmm. of some kind. We did, you know, Netflix leveraged the post office, and we had messengers at Cosmo. Right. So, uh, Ted was looking for somebody, and this guy thought that we would get along, and we did. Um, but you didn't make movies. You hadn't been in production. No. Uh, well, I had in a 
previous life right. in the feature film business. Right. But Netflix wasn't in that business yet. So you went over to Netflix to do this show. You had been doing other features. I was talking about one backstage, that one of my favorite movies, but I'm the cheerleader. It's about a cheerleader who turns into a lesbian, which of course I would love. Yeah, um, I think she, she even was one before she was she one was before. That's right. She was just <laughs> born. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, case. that was the whole, yes. uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, that was the whole idea, that yes. she was like so utterly convinced that it could not be who she was. Right, because uh, she was a cheerleader. Yeah. Yeah. So you... But she had a lot of Melissa Etheridge posters. And she stuff, did. So yeah, she that was it. That was the yeah. big signal. Um, so, and if, and if there was an indigo, it was absolutely sure. Yeah. So you, you decided to do this. Where were you in your career when you thought about this? Was it a... Were you talking about Russian Doll? Yeah. No, not Russian Doll, but, but Wearing Just a New Black. So you go over to do this, it becomes a big hit. Were you surprised by it? Because I think you, what you didn't... Yeah, I mean, and delighted. I mean, um, yeah, I was, uh, I would define my career before Orange is the New Black as Nowheresville, (laughs) which is a professional term, uh, (laughs) to define when you get to, you know, uh, I'd had uh, many lives. Yeah. 75 today, it's my birthday, thank you. And... uh, you know, I'd been a, thanks, uh, I'd been a child actor. Yes. I was on Pee Wee's Playhouse when I was uh, six, maybe. And then I'd had this, uh, but I'm a cheerleader. The 90s were good to me. Early aughts, not so hot. <laughs> uh, and um, so I was really grateful uh, when Orange is New Black came along. And I think it really, in many ways, reframed my sense of everything. Um, I had just come off this... Uh, play that I'd done with Nora Ephron and her sister Delia Ephron. Um, and there were incredible women in, in that play, uh, Tyne Daly, Rosie O'Donnell, um, Tracy Ellis Ross, Rita Wilson, Carol Kane. Uh, and I think that I had this experience of being on stage with them uh, every night and feeling like, wait a minute, there's space for kind of all these, you know, um, big personalities, these very like three-dimensional women. And then Nora and Delia at the head of it being so brilliant. And the next thing I knew, I was on set of Orange is a New Black and with Cindy and with uh, Genji. And with, I mean, we were talking before, you know, Jodie Foster would be directing. And it was, uh, you know, Uzo was there and Taylor was there. And there were just so many extraordinary women. Um, and I found myself in this sort of new era of my career that. I mean, But a Mature Leader was uh, directed by Jamie Babbitt, one of the directors on Russian Doll. You know, Slums of Beverly Hills had been written and directed by Tamara Jenkins, who I think is a giant filmmaker. But I, it hadn't really crystallized that there was this sort of other version of um, supporting and sort of holding space. I think sort of a false impression like uh, from advertising, essentially. It was uh, this idea of assembly line propaganda. You know, you just kind of yeah. look a certain way, be a certain way, and then you can hold a space. Right. And suddenly I was being, uh, uh, you know, there was this kind of artistic sort of awakening of like, wait a minute, you mean that I can be sort of uh, an odd bird and not 17 and still have ideas? Uh, what a revelation. Yeah, let's talk Game about changer. this. Game changer. So you talk about this, because that's what Netflix really did carve out. You had a Hollywood way of doing things and then a Netflix way of doing things. And you all, you, Ted's been a little more uh, out there and stuff, but you've been very quiet about how you create. Talk a little bit about how you thought about this, because there, there was an open space that wasn't being filled, that wasn't a Tom Cruise movie or, a, or something that was sort of just a, a franchise. Not that some of the franchises aren't good, but mm-hmm. they have a formula kind of. 
Well, I think, you know, stemming from the DVD service, we had 100,000 titles on DVD. And what you learn from that when you have a catalog of foreign films and indie films and documentaries and not just what traditional Hollywood makes, but what's happening all around the world, you know, you realize that people have really diverse and eclectic tastes and you can program to those. And so, you know, it's one of the insights that we had is we could differentiate ourselves on those very niches that made us, gave us early success as a DVD by mail business. Right. Right. And so going into original programming, there were a couple key things we wanted to accomplish. One was with the first set of titles was to sort of change this conception of what content made for the internet is. Because people think of it as, you know, user generated content stuff, maybe uh, funny moms. <laughs> yeah, like you know, funny or die. Yeah. You know, it was all that. There wasn't real premium elevated content made specifically for the internet. And right. House of Cards changed that conversation. And right. it was really up until the day that House of Cards launched right. that people were thinking, well, why is David Fincher making webisodes? I was like, well, he's not. Right. Right. He's making real. And, you know, Orange was something different. So was, you were making, you spending money on these things. That, that's the, yeah. that was one of the things, was that you were actually yeah, putting a lot in. Premium budgets, um, just as any of the premium networks would spend. And, you know, putting people who all shapes and sizes and walks of life on television. We were confident enough that there would be an interest in whatever Genji Cohen did after Weeds. And, you know, the memoir was so strong, Piper Kerman's memoir, and you could just see it was a, a window into a world, but also kind of a mirror that there were characters that pe real people can identify with. And, and I think audiences really respond to something fresh and different that doesn't look and feel like everything else on television. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back after this to my live interview with Cindy Holland from Netflix and Natasha Leon from Russian Doll and Orange is the New Black. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Talk about the experience. So you did that. You were in the show. You didn't create Orange and the Black. You were one of the characters in it. Talk about how you got to, to Russian Doll because it's an unusual plot. It's not something that like I, I can't see you pitching it to ABC and it 
going over. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Uh, uh, although something, I guess, sort of like that did happen, which is uh, Amy Poehler and I, who, uh, another giant, um, mm-hmm. she had called me out of the blue one day. I was, this was, uh, you know, back before streaming had really kicked in. I was watching uh, NYPD Blue on a loop, um, slowly becoming um, Detective Sipowitz, if anyone... <laughs> remembers um, I was having a dark day at Home Alone uh, when Amy called. And, you know, she said, as long as I've known you, you've always been the oldest girl in the world. Do you think we should make a TV show about that? And I looked around and I said, absolutely. Uh, I was doing uh, nothing else. And it was a thrill to get to work with Amy. We kind of came up with this idea. We had some sort of similar threads. Uh, Nadia, the name of the character from Russian Doll, who I always name my characters Nadia after Nadia Komanichi, my favorite gymnast. Uh, okay. And, you know, some basic ideas that we wanted to sort of tell something, something uh, a little bit existential, a little bit... Uh, what it would be like for, um, you know, a woman who wasn't old enough yet to really be and what she was experiencing as a feeling of act three of her life. Uh, so we paired me with a, a bunch of older people, Marla Gibbs, Rita Moreno, Fred Willard, and so on, Ellen Burstyn. It was great. It was called Old Soul. We sold it to NBC. Uh, they did not pick it up. Uh, I'm not sure why. And uh, then we, Amy turned to me and she said, what, what show would we really want to make? At that point, we were, I think, much closer as kind of collaborators, you know, we'd known each other uh, in passing, but had never really spent this kind of concentrated time together. And um, she really said, like, what is it that we really want to say if there were no rules, if there were no restrictions, if this wasn't a network TV show? And, you know, very quickly it started becoming these conversations that we were talking about before, you know, I'm a strange loop, multiverse, choose your own adventure. What does it all mean? Uh, what's it all about? Uh, how did you talk get to about Victor Frankel? How, how, you know? how, how did you get to multiverse? Because it's the only the only time I've ever discussed multiverse was with Elon Musk on stage here. Oh, um, I, and he I would say that he probably is getting there um, with far more concrete uh, information and education to back it up. Would be my first guess. Uh, <laughs> so I think, to me, frankly, just you know, I, I know it's a room full of people who probably actually know what a lot of these things mean. But the thing about Hollywood is uh, that uh, I think that I'm somebody who always had a deep curiosity about these kinds of things. You know, I was a film and philosophy double major and and, um, at Tisch. I think I always was just a very curious sort of, you know, quantum character. You know, I always had a suspicion that there was something curious happening sort of uh, between what we define as sort of like the ether and the things tethering us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, reality. Uh, between Reality. I mean, Natasha's mind is a multiverse. Uh, okay, all right. It, 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 I mean, if you... Thanks, Cindy. Well, no, it's true, in the best way. Like, if you're around her for any length of time. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit... Uh, yeah, I, think, I think funny. Um, it's brain damage. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the truth is, is we went about the business of what I truly believe that Netflix excels at and why I think it's revolutionary is really brought them the show that we really wanted to Not make. Not the one you thought they wanted. Not the, yeah. And is I, that what you had been doing, editing yourself, saying this is what we'll sell? I would go further and say that I spent a lifetime doing that. And, you know, that the sort of heaviest, most life-affirming sort of artistic but also human revelation for me and... Um, creating Russian Doll and then having a positive instead of sort of bullying response to it uh, has been, um, yeah, uh, sort of telling the truth in, in my way and that that's suddenly okay is a game changer. So that's been a brand thing for Netflix is that you guys can do anything you want. 
Nobody seems to have followed that, followed in that idea. No one's doing that version of it. Is that still the way you think about doing it, or do you have much more control? You control what you pick. Yeah. But it seems like you're getting a lot, you know, you just shine on Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy. I actually was an intern at the Washington Post with Ryan Murphy, which is kind of funny. <laughs> he was the worst intern ever. But as it turned out, it didn't it matter. Great showrunner. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he was great. He was just mean to everybody at the, at the Post. It was terrific to see. Is that something you can continue to do as you get bigger? Because you're bringing in really, you know, big names and, and, and the idea of total freedom can be problematic. Uh, well, you know, we want to entertain the world, so we need to have a lot of artists come join us. From the very beginning, we wanted to create an environment that was freeing and not stifling. It's part of our own corporate culture, freedom and responsibility, and you hire smart people, you give them the right support, and then you, you know, let them... Uh, do their work. And we've extended that to the folks that we work with on the creative side, and I think to really good results, you know. And also, I think a lot of the industry operates in a culture of fear, mm -hmm. and we don't. Yeah. So we're not afraid to try a bunch of different things, some of which may work, some of which may not. And it's part of our culture to embrace mistakes and failure and learn something from it, you know, corporately. And we want to encourage our artists to just really reach for that thing they really have been dying to do. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly the case with Natasha. What do you think, what do you judge the shows on? I mean, I want to, um, One Day at a Time, which was a great show way back, I watched it when I was a kid, great show. Mm -hmm. What did you judge that on? Because it got a lot of pushback when you yep. guys stopped it. Tremendous show, well done. Yeah, great well done season. show. Um, you know, the basic calculation is how much viewing are we getting for what it costs, mm -hmm. right? Other Which things, is every calculation. Right, that's pretty basic. Um, but, you know, we also look at, is it reaching uh, different audiences? Is it gaining critical acclaim? Is it doing something for us as a business that, that you know, we like? And one day at a time, frankly, if you looked at it just from a season one perspective, we, we wouldn't have renewed that show on a viewing to cost basis. Mm -hmm. But... It was such a well-made show, and we were so proud of Norman and Gloria, Mike Royce, and, and everybody involved in it, that we wanted to see, could we broaden the audience? Could it gain some more steam? And it would grow a little bit, but we just couldn't find the broad audience that we thought it, it could get and it deserved to get. And so after three seasons, we... Does we it have to, to get a broad audience? You're talking about like creating for lots of different groups. Uh, it has to get a big enough audience ultimately to justify the cost of it. And in that particular case, it didn't. How do you think you're judged by Netflix? How, what do you think about? You know, I take a bit of relief in the algorithm, if I'm being honest. Okay, uh, explain that. Uh, well, relief in the I never said, heard someone say they yeah, like the Yeah, I think algorithm. that there's... Uh, you know, maybe I've just described I'm not a big fan of reality, but then in other ways, um, it has its charms. And I think that uh, boundaries are sort of can be healthy for a creative process in a way, you know. Um, so what that means, uh, and I probably never told you this, but for example, when we would be, uh, you know, fighting uh, light, you know, Russian Doll is all night shoots because I'm a big Abel Ferrara fan. No, because the show takes place at... Uh, night. And so 
every, every day. You know, you're a kind of low-budget show, essentially. It's not Game of Thrones, and you're fighting, and the sun's coming up. People are like, God, I just wish we had more money. And I'd be like, well, they ran the numbers, guys. The algorithm suggests that we only get this much kind of for this show. Sorry, I'm not Tom Cruise. Let's try to make the day. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? Like, if uh, we had, you know, but the, the, there was also a good news there, right, of sort of because we're not... Tom Cruise, we also don't have to deliver Tom Cruise expectations. So how right. great that we get to do all these weird Talmudic things that probably, you never see a Tom Cruise Talmud picture. <laughs> no, and I would say almost never, and the big body of work. Uh, so in many ways, I would find that to be an element of sort of a relief to that. And I think, speaking frankly also, I had obviously, uh, I have like, you know, um, uh, emotional sort of like a human attachment to Netflix. Uh, um, it was almost like I think of them as like, you know, I think of something as like Irving Thalberg or something. Mm-hmm. I have such a kind of uh, love for um, old Hollywood mm-hmm. and to watch sort of what Netflix became. Ted, you know, I love Ted. To watch Ted what... Ted Sarandos. Uh, yeah, to watch kind of from where we were. At, like, I remember our first Emmys party, and it was just like me and Taylor walked in, and, and uh, it was just Cindy and Ted standing there like, hey, thanks for coming to the party. You know, now, six years and we were kind of like, all right, we'll stay for 15 minutes, right? I mean, we're on the... Uh, yeah. uh, and then all of a sudden now, to be part of this ride of watching something like this get created in... Right. My lifetime just is a, it's fascinating, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so uh, I don't know if that answered your question. No, but. it was good, though. It's fine. It's, I like the Tom Cruise Talmud movie. I'm still back. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for it. He's just a Boy. rabbi. It's a Yentl mashup. It's a remake of Yentl that Tom Cruise <laughs> has suddenly decided is his act three. And we're going to use some of the scooters outside. Yes, you know? good, good. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Good, always adding, always <laughs> building <laughs> restrictions. Right, um, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you know why I like to work with Natasha. Yeah, exactly. So do you, you get a lot of this with a lot of the creators moving to you. They're sick of the system. They're sick mm-hmm. of the system. You're also spending a lot of money. Whenever I visit Hollywood executives, the regular ones, they're like, well, they just spent a lot of money. And it's an easy that, cop that's out. what they say. They said, oh, they just spent a lot of money. They just pay a lot of money. And then I'm always like, maybe you just suck. Like, I don't know. Perhaps that's what's going on here. Um, and it's a really interesting, at first, as, as you remember, Jeff Bucus, uh, you know, they're like, Lithuania? I forget what country. Latvia. The Albanian, Albanian army. army. Yes. Right, yes. They call it. Now you're considered an enormous force. What's changed at the company in that? What's your worry that's going to happen to Netflix? Uh, well, I think the, the thing that I think about is making sure that we stay true to the core of what we're trying to do, which is provide entertainment for the world and provide an incredible working environment for the best artists in the world. You know, if David Fincher and Genji Cohen didn't have a good experience with us on their first shows, they wouldn't have come back for more, but they both have, mm-hmm. right? And so what, what I'm, one of the things I'm most proud of is that we've created, I think, one of the best working environments for artists in Hollywood, both mm-hmm. in the film and television side, and now we're bringing that around the world. And we're also you know, allowing creators to stay in their home country, be successful in their first language, mm-hmm. and then we do the job of distributing content around the world. And I think that is truly revolutionary, and it's one of the things that... When I first joined Netflix back in the DVD days, mm-hmm. I was really excited about because you had access to foreign movies. That, like my family in Nebraska could get them in their mailbox, mm-hmm. right? Now, with the press of a button on any of your smart devices, 
you can get all this great content from all around the world. But the, the, the keys, I think, is providing a great working experience for artists, making sure that you're supporting them, and giving them the confines that they need to be successful, but also giving them as much freedom uh, as they need to. So do you need to have hits? Is that, you, do you need to have, is, in, is Russian Doll a hit? Uh, it's all relative to its size, right? right. Russian Doll's a hit for what it costs mm -hmm. in that dimension. It also happened to critically. really break through critically and, you know, people around the world are loving this very unusual but funny and touching and smart story that wouldn't have existed otherwise. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of it. Mm -hmm. But do you need, like, the House of Cards or... The, the bigger, or Orange is the New Black, I carried it. The reason I watched yeah. Netflix and found the other things is because that was there. I, I think what, what is a hit show is different for everybody. You know, there may be some fans that, like, Russian Doll is the most important thing to them. Some, it may be Stranger Things. Some, it may be a Casa de Papel, which is mm -hmm. huge for us in, in Europe, but less so in the United States. Mm -hmm. Or it could be you love documentaries and you spend most of your time watching documentaries. The majority of our members watch documentaries, which is unusual for any kind of service. How do you look at HBO now. That was where this, a lot of the seeds of what Netflix is, is HBO-like. The idea that they could create unusual things um, that were not on regular television. And I think it was because it's HBO or something, I forget. I mean, I guess I have a sort of Different. curiosity that I would rather ask you both about, but it does, I mean, it does seem like there's uh, some sort of stacking that's happening where, I mean, is HBO HBO? Is an HBO AT&T? Yeah, now it is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, when so, the head of HBO left, Richard. Right. Fair. And, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, um, yeah. ca calling. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, it's a curiosity, right. I think, in a bigger scale of, like, what is anything anymore? I mean, right. it's sort of, yeah, you, you have more information than I do. Well, what do you think? Do you want to work for the phone company? I, I don't know. The question is, does it matter anymore? Or right. is it... You know, does it matter if it's a, a cell phone video? I mean, it's a, is, is an Instagram video going to become the new sort of content? Uh, is it? I, I, You're the content creator. Uh, yeah. You I have mean, this, this I you think have a thing I, with Maya Rudolph, right? You have yes, a, I have a company with Maya Rudolph. And uh, it's called Animal want, Pictures. It's called what? Animal Pictures. Animal, okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that from that point of view, I think that Yes, absolutely. Anybody, any place that is open to kind of, uh, you know, these are shows that other people have even written and are bringing to us to produce for them. So how incredible. I would love to see as many great voices, new voices, uh, be heard and have uh, platforms for their work to be seen. So I'm glad that there are many places for it. What does an Instagram movie look like? Say, would you, if Instagram came to you and said, Natasha, we'd like you to make an Instagram film. Yeah. Do you see that as content? There is I, some, I do think that it's uh, a curiosity that we're now experiencing a first generation that has never known. It's like this great social experiment that's happening uh, in real time where uh, we have a generation that's never known a life without a device. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us that there is this like, utter loss of uh, solitude, reflection. I mean, I do think that there are big questions and uh, that maybe for... A young person, I don't know that I would have the attendance man. We're sort of like this last generation that have 
that knows both worlds, you know, that knows a time that we can remember mm -hmm. when none of this existed. And to actually sit and watch something, you needed full attention span. You know, so often in the Russian All Writers Room, I would be like, is it more interesting than a cat video? You know, mm -hmm. it, it's <laughs> a real question. I mean, it, are you going to be able to keep someone's focus? When we right. watch things now, we watch them while multitasking, right. text messages, New York Times crossword puzzle, whatever it is, you know? So I don't know, maybe if it was an Instagram movie, at least they'd only be doing one thing because they couldn't be playing with their phones. Right, yeah. I watch Russian Doll on my phone. Did you? Yeah. How was it? Good. Good, Chris. I don't care. Right? Yeah, I don't Good care. I don't care where I watch. I don't care where I watch. I watch a lot of stuff. Well, like and so maybe, you know, that's the question. Does it, does it matter? I mean, I, I guess it's... Uh, my kids watch it a lot on their phones. It's, I mean, I will say that it's uh, heartbreaking, you know, like the, the, the filmmaker in me. It, yeah, I mean, when we were at uh, the premiere of Russian All and we got to see those episodes screened on a, on a big screen. It's like, if you think there's Easter eggs in your cell phone, just wait till you see it on a real yeah. screen. I mean, yeah. it's, um, so yeah, it breaks my heart. Yeah, it's interesting. One, we had one time had George Lucas uh, at the same conference as the YouTube creators and they were very excited to meet him because they love Star, you know, Star Wars and stuff like that. And they're like, when is he coming? When is he coming? And I brought them up to him and I said, these are the creators of YouTube. And he goes, ah, the people who film puppies, throwing puppies on the highway. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, he, he's like, you've ruined cinema. You've ruined it all. <laughs> and they were like... Oh, and he goes, why don't you give money to preserve film? And they're like, okay. And he's like, Smart play. I know, right? Smart exactly. play. But he, he that, he was, I never forgot that, throwing yeah. puppies on a highway. Like, that's what you do for a living. Which yeah, is, they're in trouble for a lot of reasons. Yeah, 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 exactly. We're going to take another break now, but after this, we'll be back with Cindy Holland and Natasha Leon live on stage at the Code Conference. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. So, Cindy, when you think about it, you also moved into movies, and you released a movie, in a day, and you won all kinds of awards. Talk about that move. That, that was an astonishing thing. I saw it in a theater. I did not see it on Netflix. Roma? Yeah. Yeah, well, Scott Stuber, who... Who saw Roma here? Did everybody see it? Yeah, Amazing. it's a great film. Amazing film. Uh, uh, Scott Stuber, who joined us to oversee the film initiative, had a pre-existing relationship with Alfonso Cuaron, the director. And, you know, it was a big get for us to have that kind of filmmaker and actually that specific film. But, you know, it's very challenged from a theatrical release standpoint, and Alfonso knew that. You know, it's not like a studio is going to be jumping up and down to say, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to release a black and white film in an indigenous <laughs> language on 5,000 screens. It's not happening. Right. 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 And he really wanted people uh, all around the world to see it. And we could do that for him. Right. We also did a theatrical release for that film. Who do you feel is your competitor right now? Uh, I think, uh, honestly, uh, 
Sounds like a cop-out, but we really just are focused on what we're doing and okay, executing. Okay, so that is a cop-out. Who is your competitor? Our business then? <laughs> uh, it's, it's all forms of entertainment, right? It's the traditional movie. But is there any studios. traditional company that you think is, you know, Disney's trying its streaming thing. They're yeah. all trying their versions of it. Yeah, there's, I don't think there's any one that stands out as the competitor. Hulu, maybe. Um, uh, you know, Hulu's been growing nicely over the last few years, but they're you know, domestic, right? Um, Disney Plus, it'll be great to see what they do. I mean, we've anticipated that all of these traditional players would enter uh, into our space. The more successful we were at building an on-demand subscriber base with content, the more likely they were gonna be to stop licensing to us, right? It's actually one of the reasons why we started original content in the first place. We believe this shift would all happen. It's just taken um, many years longer than we thought. Um, so we welcome it. And finally, Natasha, before we, before we end and get questions from the audience, where do you imagine you want to stay at somewhere like Netflix? You don't want to go back to the old system. You wouldn't meet a huge movie, or if they came to you with something like that. How, how do you think as an artist what you want, or as you created this production company? Yeah. How, how do you think about it? You know, I think that there's sort of big philosophical ramifications to the potential of content, creating content that could be so widely disseminated. Uh, and, you know, that there's, I mean, the reach is extraordinary. When, when you know, you talk about that, or I mean, I've been on these, like, international uh, Netflix press tours with Orange and New Black, and they really, you know, know your work, which is, you know, for me, obviously, very much the... What I want it to say, whether it's on your cell phone or uh, IMAX Russian doll, is I want to sort of tell a story about, uh, you know, inner brokenness and sort of like ending a cycle of shame around that on a mm-hmm. human level. I want sort of, uh, that would be my goal when I think about, uh, you know, a little girl who felt like me, who's kind of like a weirdo and she's getting bullied at school and she feels a little bit like an outsider. I want her to feel like she feels seen um, and, uh and it's gonna be okay. You know, stay, stay on the bus, don't quit. You're gonna be all right. Keep fighting the good fight. So, you know, ultimately, that's really what I, you know, wanna have carry in any, any number of ways. Um, and uh, if, yes, so for me, I would say that Netflix has been, you know, a, a gorgeous partner in that. Um, they seem truly invested in that as well. Uh, all right, so you are, there's some news here. You, you're, you, you're renewing you Russian Doll. You want to do a season two, Natasha? Mason? Yeah, you. <laughs> Same show. Uh, just weirder. Just weirder? Yeah. <laughs> are you sure? You, I, Nadia Volvikov mm-hmm. is uh, a coder, Yeah. Uh, as you know. So mm-hmm. um, I guess it would be uh, somewhat appropriate to maybe... Um, have this be the time and place to say yes, very much so. I would love <laughs> to do that. Okay. All right, I would love it. Um, questions from the audience. We just have a, a, a second. Go ahead. Great, uh, Cindy. It's Mark Mahaney at RBC. Congrats on all the success. I think the reason that uh, these launches of Disney and other companies isn't going to impact your business is because of the original content you've created. Could you talk about how much better you think you could get at developing and producing original content? Natasha mentioned algorithms. You didn't really mention that. Do you think yeah. you have a major data advantage in addition to the culture advantage you have in terms of producing original content? Are you the Amazon of content? Uh, well, oh, oh, so Amazon does have a studio, don't they? Uh, 
Well, we've only been in the original content business for about six years now. Uh, so we're just getting started relative to, to everybody else out there. Uh, and we're learning a lot. Uh, we do have a lot of information about what our members like to watch. But the reality is when it comes down to the decision of you know, which project to make and, and who to back, it's a very human decision. You know, it's a conversation with Natasha and Amy about the show they want to create and then believing in them. And that's, not good, you know, that's pretty basic and fundamental. And I think that, that that's the real differentiating advantage is our culture, our uh, not being afraid to take pretty sizable risks in the content space uh, and continuing to support artists. And you, you don't give numbers out? We occasionally do. Occasionally? Yeah. With the bird one? Bird Box, yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. Yeah. Okay, I'm not watching the Bird Box. <laughs> it seems creepy. All right, <laughs> last question, very quick. Hi, uh, John Ford from CNBC. Uh, Natasha, I'm curious, uh, Netflix has a lot of data, uh, as we were just hearing. How much of that do you view as being potentially toxic to the creative process? If you could have data on who was watching, what they liked, what they didn't like, would that help you make a better product or would it get in your head too much, perhaps, yeah. about? That's a good question. We asked yeah, that, that of uh, family, uh, Modern Family. He mm -hmm. wanted more data. He wanted oh, to he know did? where the laugh points were. He, want, he, liked, he watched Twitter after the show to see when it was. He very much wanted data. Yeah, I mean, at what point would I be getting it, is I guess the question. Like, spilt milk data, I don't really need in my life. You could decide whether you're getting oh, it um, I like this immediately scenario. or uh, yeah, delayed. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, I, it depends if I would have to um, take the information in that exchange. In other words, it might be fun to get the data and then decide if I agreed or disagreed creatively. And some creators want more information, some want less. And you give that to them? Uh, we, we absolutely will. You will, mm -hmm. but you don't offer it necessarily? Um, depends. I mean, Natasha knows some information yeah. about the show, and there's a wealth of information that is available. Some, some creators are very curious, and they want to know very specific things. Uh, um, but generally, once they're going into, say, the next season, they want to be kind of pure and... Right. Well, when you think about sort of, you know, a test screening audience, let's say, would be the more traditional example of that, I think that it would be challenging to be in a position where you have to then take the notes of, you know, well, you know, these uh, eight women, they, they thought that this character was unlikable. In that situation, I'd want to be like, I don't care, you know? Um, <laughs> but in certain other things, of like, this was not tracking, let's say, or they couldn't, you know, follow. So I think it's, it, it, it's a little bit, it's a, it, it definitely could be useful, and then in other ways... Uh, Crushing and unnecessary. Yeah, um, I would. The I, I don't yeah. care thing is a great thing. Yeah, but I mean, it's also it's a curiosity, right? That we do have things like Twitter and stuff mm -hmm. now. So, which is such a weird thing, the idea that you can almost get an immediate response and sort of a dialogue going and sort of um, theories and stuff. So it's it's bizarre that in a weird way we all kind of are receiving data whether we want it or not, unless I guess you know you live in a inside of a bird box. Uh, yes, right. Wrap that up. Nobody lives inside of a bird box. All right. Very quickly, Dylan, we got to go. Uh, sure. This question's for Cindy. Um, is there anything about the old television, the sort of broadcast sitcom world uh, that Netflix has left behind that you guys, you, Ted, your colleagues, uh, sort of envy or feel inspired by? Or is it all sort of just sort of archaic and limited and boxed in? 
No, I don't, I don't see it as archaic and limited at all. I think every medium is different. I mean, look, we all grew up loving television. I watched a whole lot of it. What was your favorite? As a kid. Well, depending on which time period, but I remember Charlie's Angels being fairly formative for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Natasha. Sabrina Duncan was my favorite angel. Of course. Of course. Hello. Hello. Me? Yeah. Uh, I don't. I remember as a kid, I was always into things like the Carol Burnett Show, Tracy Ullman Carol Show. Burnett. Amazing. I used to really uh, enjoy that kind of. Story. So those are formative still. That I was talking about the concept. Uh, but to answer your question, I do think you know the. The multicam sitcam is a really interesting art, and it's you know we, we've tried a number of them on Netflix uh, to varying degrees of success, and it's it's still um, a form that we believe in and want to figure out, you know how to how to kind of continue. All right, thank you too so much. I really thank appreciate you. it. It's a great thank show, you. Russian Doll. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Cindy Holland and Natasha Leon for joining me on stage at Code. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. And my producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.